Thank you. Thank you to the worship. Appreciate you. Wow, it's been a good couple of days in God's presence. I have a friend who lives in Kansas City, and he's written a great book, um, Secrets of a Secret Place. And in that book, there's a paragraph. I want to read it to you. He simply says, powerful things happen inside you when you spend time with God. When you're in his presence for extended periods, the molecular composition of your soul gets restructured. You start to think differently and you don't know why. You start to have different passions and interests and you don't even know why. God is changing you on the inside in ways that you cannot cognitively analyze. All you know is that sinful affections that once pulled at your soul no longer have the former power over you. The secret is simply this. Large chunks of time in God's presence, loving Him and imbibing His Word. We've been doing that for two days. Loving Him, imbibing His Word, being in His presence. And you may not realize it, but the molecular structure of your soul is being reconstructed by the Holy Spirit. Some passions will change. Some desires will change. You will think differently because of being in His presence. Now imagine with me, what if that became a lifestyle, a habit, day after day, week after week, month after month. What does a person look like who makes that their life's goal? To stand before the Lord, worship Him, listen to Him in His Word, allow that to change them. The compound effect of that week on week, month on month, year on year, it, it kind of makes me very excited and draws me into, I want to have that one thing lifestyle. So Lord, would you do that in us? In Jesus' name. Well, we've had a good morning already. I think we're, we're pretty close to coming into land are you grateful for the, the gifts that have been ministering to you? Just on and off the platform from worship to prayer to opening up our hearts and people proclaiming and declaring things over us and opening up the word to us. And uh, I massively appreciate my friendship with Lawrence, Esther and I, with uh, Tracy and Lawrence, and just appreciate the connection you know, everything in the kingdom flows through relationship. Uh, everything. Everything God wants to get to you, He gets to you through a relationship. And those relationships need to be valued and nurtured. They need to be recognized for what they are. And then you need to be intentional about investing in them. And there may be some, I think I said this last night, some relationships that were beautiful in their time, and then time shifts and changes. And we don't become critical, we just try and see where is God moving right now? What is He doing right now? 
and where am I supposed to invest in this next season? I know that there are some friendships that are lifelong. They're very few. They're not many. <laughs> and there are many that are seasonal relationships. It's recognizing, Lord, which, which relationships are where? What are you doing? Where do I invest? And I know in the last three years, there has been a significant shifting of people. I don't know if you felt it in the U.S. We have in the U.K., People have moved towns and cities. People have even moved nations. It's like there's this been realigning that the Father's been doing all over. It's like somebody took a hold of people and just shook everything up and said, I'm going to create some new friendships here. You're going to move from that country to this one. You're going to move from this city to that one. I'm doing some aligning. And what we have found is there were people over here that have been on a journey with the Lord and God's been doing something, and now they've moved over to where we are, and all of a sudden, the relationships and their journey, our journey, cross-pollinates, and God's up to something. I, I hadn't planned to say that yesterday or today, but I don't know, I'm paying attention. This is Lawrence's phrase. So I'm paying attention to what the Lord keeps reminding me of. I, I, I just encourage you, recognize where God is moving. Recognize where He is aligning. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Drift is almost imperceptible. It happens without us realizing we're drifting. I guess I'm saying to you this morning, be really careful to pay attention to what the Father is doing, so that drift doesn't take you back to, you know, when I'm in the States and I'm driving, I haven't driven yet, but I do rent a car tomorrow evening, so be careful, everybody in Oklahoma City, <laughs> we drive on the other side of the road in the UK, <clears throat> and my center of balance when I'm driving in the US shifts me on the lane. I have to be extremely attentive to stay in the center of the lane in the US because I sit on the other side of the car. Our wheel is on the other side. So when I'm on the other side in back home, I center myself without even thinking in a lane. You shift my position in the car and I do it without thinking. I shift the car that way because I've been trained a particular way. So I have to pay the most careful attention so that I do not drift. Where will you have to pay the most careful attention to what God has said as you leave here shortly so that you do not drift? What habits will you bring into your life? What relationships need culturing that you're cultivating that you need to pay attention to? What revelation has the Lord been awakening that you will need to go and meditate and chew on? Two years ago, the Lord said this to me. He said, revelation that is not nurtured will be lost. Hmm. You hear it, you're awakened to it. It could be in a quiet time. It could be in a sermon. It could be in a prayer meeting. God gives you revelation. If you don't write it down, pray over it, ponder it, chew it, 
spend time even allowing the Lord to develop it, it'll be lost. You'll forget. And the revelation was actually an invitation to go deeper. So pay attention to the revelation. Pay attention to the relationships. Pay attention to the habits that might be needed in this next season that you may have not that you may not have had in your previous season. I thought that was all good, but anyway, <laughs> thanks for your help on that. Um, I hadn't planned to say any of that. I just did. I felt like the Spirit was just helping you to think as we leave. Where do I need to pay attention so I don't drift? Some of it's relational, some of it's revelation, some of it's habits. And we must walk away with at least a plan to make a plan. I know it's a move of the Spirit. I think one of your presidents said this. Uh, the one who fails to plan, plans to fail. And I know God's moving. I think it was Franklin, uh, Benjamin Franklin. But the, the one who, the Spirit's moving, but I still need to cooperate with the Spirit. Paul said in Philippians 1.27, he said, only let us have a manner of life that is worthy of Jesus Christ. So what's your manner of life? pattern of life, rule of life. You can't live from inspiration and feelings. I'm going to get that quote of A.T. He gave a great quote. I can't remember a word of it now, but I know something about a fairy tale and romantic. And, and I was like, I need to write that thing down, but he was too quick. I, we really need to have a response to the Lord. And so let me close this little kind of introduction off by just simply saying again, Pay attention to the relationships you'll need to nurture, the habits that you need to cultivate, the um, revelation that will need to be dug into, prayed over, pondered, um, and, and I think it'll set you up well. So make a plan for those things. In the next few minutes, and I'll, I'm going to try and be concise. Um, I want to speak to you about transition. I'm not always good with titles, so I sometimes can have four or five titles. Um, here's one of them. Uh, transitioning to greater glory. Another title might be transitioning to carry more authority. Or the place of transition for the emerging burning ones that are coming. You can pick any one. If you don't like any of those, make your own up and <laughs> tell me what it is and I might use it. <laughs> I, I, I basically, the basic premise is this, very simple. Life is made up of transitions. And the way we handle a transition, and I, I, this, I, I don't have the clever word thing that Lawrence does, but I got one yesterday and I was sitting in the chair where he normally sits. So I was like, more of the anointing of Lawrence, Lord. <laughs> Tell me if you think this is okay. Our response in transition times either forms us or deforms us. Like, I got the Lawrence anointing there. Our response in transition time either forms us or deforms us. 
The way you respond in a trial, the way you respond in the midst of transition and uncertainty will either help you become a better person or it might work a negative trait or habit or attitude into you. You cannot avoid transition. It will come. But you can pay attention to your response in the transition. Transition is simply the process or period of changing from one state to another state of being. They can be very small. They can be huge. All of them are important. And they can be personal transitions. They can be business transitions in terms of a business is changing, a person is changing, a church is going through a change. There can be global transition taking place. We are right now in the beginnings of a, I think, a global transition, reforming. I'm not original in this. I read some stuff on it from the 90s. A guy called Bob Mumford did some study on it, and then a Presbyterian lady in the U.S. in the 90s released a load of messages on the whole thing of every 500 years, there is a major reformation that takes place. It happens in finance, it happens in economic kind of field, it happens in politics, and it happens in religious circles. So I'm not original with that thought, but it's historic and it's proven every 500 years there is a major shift. The, the power bases globally change. Stuff happens with communication and stuff happens with religious organizations as well. Um, Phyllis Tickle, who, did, who I originally heard talk about this, she went back as far as Abraham and tracked every 500 years major transition all the way through to our present day. And her understanding 20 years ago was we are in the beginning of one of those again. And that was 20 years ago. And I'm like, that's interesting. This isn't a spirit-filled Christian. This is a Presbyterian from the U.S. But I think it's an interesting observation. Fast forward now to where we are. We are in the midst of one of those reformings reformations taking place. You could bury your head in the sand and say, well, let's just ignore it and carry on as usual. Or you can, and I've felt this phrase a few times, turn your face into the wind of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, blow. Change whatever you want to change. I want to have a godly response to the transition that you are taking me through. And I believe that the personal transition we go through has a direct impact on the wider transition of our church communities, our families, our marriages. So we handle the personal one well, and it, handle, it changes the things around us. God holds your character of higher value than your comfort. Transition is often uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's tumultuous, and yet the Lord allows us to go through transition, even orchestrates that we go through it, because he's more interested in who we are becoming than what we are doing.
and our character development, the shift on the inside really matters to him. He was attracted to David, not because of what David was doing, but because of David's heart. Saul was taller. Saul had killed more of the enemy. Saul had many prophetic words over him. David was a 16-year-old small boy out in the fields, but the Lord said, I found somebody whose heart I'm impressed by. Not hands, not work, not gifting. He was attracted to something on the inside of David. Isaiah 66, first few verses. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. So where is the resting place you're going to build me? Like, God's like, I sit up here, I rest my feet there. Like, what are you going to do to impress me? Build a building? Be clever with the finances? Do a great campaign? Preach that one great message? In other words, I'm not impressed. But then the next verse says, but this is the one that I esteem. In other words, you can impress me. Here's the one I look to, the one who is humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. Isn't that crazy? God's like, I'm not impressed with what comes from your hands. I am impressed with what's forming in your heart. Transition is the opportunity for character to be formed, for us to become more like God. Jesus. Let me give you a few examples, and then I'm going to, I, I am going to give some application to us on this as well. Um, I think of Moses, he went through a personal transition and transformation, and then he led the people from one land to another land. I think of Jesus, and I don't understand this, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, Hebrews 5, 8, he had a reverent submission to God and then it, and it, with praying and crying and fervent cries, but he was submitted and then it says, and he learned obedience through what he, he was transitioning, he was obeying and he was being changed and yet he was already clean and pure and holy. I, I don't get all of that, but I feel like the Lord was even allowing Christ as an example for us to show us the transition and the pain he was walking through was doing something inside of him. He grew in favor, Luke 2, with God. How do you grow in favor with God and man? He already had favor with God. I can understand the man piece. There is something about obedience and steadiness and right responses in the transition that impresses God and it changes us. Paul gets saved and depending on who you read, he either had three years in the wilderness and some think 14 years in the desert, some think it's three and then he started planting churches. Whichever way you look at it, he went through this transition from being central to religious activity to being called and prophesied over with a dramatic call and then hidden. 
like three years is a long time, 14 is even longer, whichever one you want to go for, that's like, man, you go from the person, he knew the Bible, much of it, the Old Testament, off by heart. He studied in the best university of the day, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. The Lord saves him, radically bright light, thrown to the floor, boom. And then says, I'm going to take you through some transition. I'm going to take you into a wilderness. It's where I form all my best. I know it's not an exciting message, but... And then Paul transitions the good news, the gospel, from one, from this Jewish old covenant rules and laws to a spirit-empowered new covenant. No longer he is God Almighty, no longer just God Almighty removed, but Father who comes close. And Paul makes this revelation known to the world around him. But he's been through a transition himself before he takes the Gentiles on this transition to God, who has been far from them. I think of two historic examples, John Wesley, William Booth. John Wesley, uh, in, he actually came over here before he was saved as a vicar, minister, and yet he didn't know God himself. And he's trying to lead others to Christ. And he says, you know, wretched, oh, wretched that I am, trying to preach to others while I myself don't know peace in God. And through all of that battling on the inside, back in London, sitting, listening to one of the Moravians preaching, he suddenly wakes up to who God has called him to be. And I think his whole early years were just one transition after the other. Kicked out of churches, misunderstood by family, rejected by people, rejected by those who would, should love him. And every one of those transitions was helping him to become the person that God called him to be. Wesley, the, uh, William Booth, exactly the same. For time's sake, I won't go through that. So Reformation, there's something personal. There is something historic taking place. And my connection is this. God always uses individuals that are being transformed, and as they're transformed, they become gateways to bring transformation. So Moses was, in his transition time, was transformed, and he was able to deliver God's people out of Egypt. Jesus went through some stuff, and then he was able to bring a new epoch of time. Paul went through something and then opened up something for the Gentiles, and we still live in the truth that Paul got as revelation that we read in the Scriptures. Um, Wesley, exactly the same. He went through personal transformation, wrestling about what it means to follow God and know God, and out of his own anguish of soul, own transitions, suddenly opens up the way, and he brought a reformation in his time the understanding that you can preach the gospel to anybody and they can get saved. On the streets, anywhere, we think, we take that for granted, it wasn't done before Wesley came on the scene. He saw that there was something wrong and he started to preach the gospel in marketplaces and towns and in the open air. And that's why he was kind of excommunicated from the church. They didn't want him. He was taking it out of the establishment, out of what was recognized, 
but what happened personally then manifested in a, in a global movement through him. I don't know if you understand where I'm going with this. I want you to embrace the reforming that's happening inside of you internally because God's interested in who you're becoming. But if you're faithful in that personal transformation, it has the potential to ricochet, to echo out. It may be the, we may not be a Wesley. We may just impact a community where we live. But if that was your mandate and you do it, you will get the same reward as Wesley get. You don't get a bigger reward for more people. You get reward for fulfilling what God called you to do. It's ever so freeing. You don't need a big platform. You don't need a big audience. You just need to be faithful with what you're called to do. But transition on the inside leads to transformation on the outside. So don't fight the transition. Don't fight the pain. Don't fight the discomfort. Lean into it. Let the wind of the Spirit blow and let God do everything he wants to do because yes, it will form the nature of Christ in you, but then secondly, it'll help you to touch other people around you. We're all on a journey to become like Christ. I've got way too much content. Galatians 4.19, my dear children, I am in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You are being changed to become like Christ. There's a formation taking place. I'm praying it into being in you. And I'm like a woman in labor waiting, uh, anguishing, longing, writing you a letter, Galatian church, praying for you with tears that Christ is formed in you. That's for all of us, Christ being formed in us. We don't hear much of that kind of preaching, but that was the one aim of the Apostle Paul, was would Christ be formed in those that he was leading to Christ, brought to full maturity. So personal transformation, let me try and focus this. So what do you do? Uh, I'm going to give you five things. I'm going to try and give them you quickly. I think number four I might take a little bit longer on. Um, Five key things in the midst of pain and transition. If I'm understanding things right, I think all of us are facing some transition right now. I, I, I think the last three years was like an accelerated uh, kind of push. Uh, it's a spiritual thing. The enemy's moving in the midst of all of this as well. The enemy's trying to confuse and distract and dilute what God is doing. He's trying to piggyback off what the Father's actually initiating to try and serve the enemy's own purpose. The enemy won't succeed. The Father will succeed. But here's five key things for you to maybe aim at. And really, we're going to focus on number four. The first one is, in everything that you do, aim for purity. This was one of your own. I'm not going to give you his name because his life kind of ended in a bit of a scandal, but he said this, to a people without mixture, I will give the spirit without measure. To a people without mixture, I'll give the spirit without measure. I want to aim for purity. I want the fullness of what God has for me. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 30, uh, the prince of this world is coming, 
but he has no hold on me. That's a crazy phrase. The enemy's got nothing he can pull, no strings he can pull, no anger buttons, no lust buttons, no materialism buttons, no jealousy buttons. Everything has been surrendered. I'm purely surrendered to the Father. And I, I would say set it as, as one of your aims in life that I'm going to aim for purity. It's the pure in heart that will see God. Number two, I would encourage you, cultivate intimacy. Cultivate intimacy. Let your roots go deeper. I love what David Wilkerson said. He said, all true ministry flows from intimacy. All true ministry flows from the place of intimacy. And we've had that focus all yesterday and today already, so I won't go into it more. I'll just say this. Proximity to the king is the way that you grow in your authority. You stay close to Jesus and authority is given to you. It's another message altogether. There is a difference between power and authority. Authority has the ability to shift spiritual atmospheres. It honestly reforms things. It will win over communities. There's a difference between presence and glory. Most of us use that the same way. But actually, presence, the Lord will come because He's promised to come. But His glory, very few of us, if any, have ever really experienced His glory coming. So whether we're talking about true authority as opposed to power, and you need both, or whether we're talking about glory as opposed to presence, and you can have both and should have both, both glory and authority are given to those who walk intimately with God, surrendered to Him with pure lives. And it, you can have presence in a room and somebody still looking at their watch thinking about lunch and the person next to them encountering God. You have glory in the room, nobody's looking at their watch. Everybody's on their face. Because the fear of the Lord comes in the glory. And there is coming a generation that will carry both authority and glory. They will be the ones that bring shift to atmospheres, to communities. They're revival carriers. But it comes out of purity, intimacy. Thirdly, I got it wrong. It's number three that I'm going to focus in on. Here we go. Embrace weakness and trial without complaining so you're in a transition everything's being thrown at you embrace it without complaint and this sense of I turn my face into the wind I'm going to let it blow Lord anything and everything that needs to be dismantled let it be dismantled everything that needs to be pruned let it be pruned I have settled in my heart that he is trustworthy. I love him. He wants my good. It will always be for his glory. So I will not fight him. It's a bit like going to the dentist. But not quite. I don't like dentists. I don't like injections. 
But I realized this is going to be for my good. Some pain now, for less pain to put my head back. Just, it's like a thousand times more for the father because my dentist still makes mistakes. I have a click in this jaw, I blame him. I honestly do. Anyway, forgive the distraction. Bad example. But the good truth is, I trust him. Do you trust him? Do you know that whatever he allows you to walk through, he'll be with you, he'll hold your hand. How did Moses feel 40 years in the wilderness? From the palace to a tent. How did Joseph feel? From dreams of prophecy, a colored coat, favored son, to sold as a slave. Sold as a slave, living as a slave, put into prison. Forgotten about for over a decade. And when his brothers come later on and he's been restored and he's in, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It wasn't the devil that did that to Joseph. Isn't that crazy? I know our Western theology, American theology, it's all the devil and we need to get him out and God's going to help you. I don't mean to make fun of this. He'll help you find your parking space. He'll help. I tell you, God is, he does help us. I pray for parking spaces, okay? So I'm not like against that. But he is, you don't really need them here. You've got so much space and land. You need them where I live. Like you've got loads of parking spaces. Anyway, what I'm trying to say, our, our faith has been so shallow and the Lord really is less interested in your comfort than he is in your character. Jesus, Isaiah 53, 7, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He went through this. Jesus speaks in John 12 of a kernel of wheat falling into the ground and dying. And if it doesn't die, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I want to encourage you in the midst of your trial, don't self-medicate. Entertainment, hobbies, shopping, holiday, nothing wrong with them. But don't use them as a form of medication. Don't manipulate your way out of your trial. I've heard people, I'm just going to strengthen myself up. I can get out of this. You really don't want to fight God, and you really don't want to be in the wrong place. Turn your face into the wind and let it blow. You don't want to be distracted in the midst of the wilderness. Lose your way. Keep going around in circles. You don't want to quit in the midst of the trial. I'm giving up. I did not sign up for this. Right. Don't they know who I am? Turn your face into the wind and let it blow. Don't leave the community that you're in if the Lord isn't telling you to. Does that make sense? Don't quit. Don't move. And don't dull your senses when you're going through a trial. Alcohol, drugs, porn, gambling, TV, don't dull your senses. You need all your wits about you. You need to be sharp. Lean into it. Give it to the Lord. Trust in Him. Hope in Him. I have spent more time crying in the last three years because of pain 
than at any other time in my life. And it's normally, I'd never heard of those breath prayers. I like that. It was really helpful phraseology. But I, I pray them and I didn't know about those. But I just said, Lord, would you hold my heart? I'm in a lot of pain right now. I know you're working, but you've got to hold my heart steady. You can start playing if you want. I see you there. Did you see them creep up on me? It's for, it's for charismatic, long-winded preachers. Send the worship team up. and This one's like forgotten about that. This is, hold my heart, help me. I'm not going to medicate. I went through a major trial 15 years ago, and I handled it wrong. I watched a lot of TV, took the family out for a lot of meals to try and dull my senses. And the last three years, I've said to the Lord, I'm not going to do that again. Did you know every, I, I, try and, I try and get to this. This is what will happen when you go through a trial. This is a direct quote from Paul. He calls it weakness, insults, attacks, persecution, hardships, and difficulties. We could have titled the message that, but I don't think anybody would buy it. Weakness, when you feel weak, insulted, you're attacked, you go through persecution, you go through hardship, and you go through difficulties. I don't have time to read all the scriptures. I'll send them to Lawrence, and he'll post them somewhere so people can get them. When you go through them and you handle them right, it proves that your faith is genuine. You can look up the scripture, 1 Peter 6, 1 Peter 1, 6. Proves that your faith is genuine. Number two, James 1, 2 to 4, it brings you to maturity. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Peter earlier says, in all this you greatly rejoice. I'm like, are these guys crazy? You greatly rejoice when you're going through suffering? You consider it pure joy when you face trials? Yes, because their faith is being made genuine. They are being brought to maturity. Three, it releases greater power and strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. I delight in my weakness, Paul says, in insults, hardships, persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Verse 8, he asked the Lord to take it away three times, and the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take away your trial and the buffeting you're in, because my power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's looking for the weak. Turn your face into the wind and let it blow. And then he can say, I delight. So there's a rejoicing, there's counting it joy, there's delighting. I'll give you the last two without the reading the texts. When you go through trials, you handle them well, it releases the life of Christ in you. Jars of clay, hard-pressed, given over to death, but life is being revealed in me. That's in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 11. And then the last one, trials are lifting places to greater glory. It's phenomenal. 
trials are lifting places to greater glory. What the Western church has sought to avoid is the very thing that helps us to become who we would really like to be. We want to be glorious, powerful, carry authority, be more like Jesus. And the Lord says, I have a perfect pathway. It's the same pathway that every one of my children has walked through. It's the wilderness, it's trial, it's being misunderstood by others. So turn your face into the wind and let it blow. Love the Father in the midst of it. My fourth and fifth point were really hold steady, glory is coming. And fifthly, learn to worship your way through warfare. You just worship your way. You turn. You, you will never have an opportunity to worship in heaven like you do on the earth. It moves God when we're in a sin-sick world, anxiety everywhere around us, and we still have the ability to raise hands and worship. It moves God that you cannot move Him this way when you're in heaven, that when you are facing the greatest trial of your life and your heart is shaking, that you would come on your knees and say, I don't understand, my heart is filled with pain, but I worship you anyway. Because you are worthy, regardless of my comfort. And I've said this to the Lord so many times in the last few years, whether I am in the hidden place and never have a public place, or I'm in the public place, my heart is yours. Hide me, reveal me, doesn't matter. Use me, lay me aside, I am yours. I'm going to worship you whatever happens. Anybody else up for that? Can I pray for you? Just, just, you can just raise your hands where you are. Holy Spirit, thank you that transition moments in our life are moments of growth. They're moments to become. Thank you that you are with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to touch people right now, that they would not see their trial as a negative, but they would delight, greatly rejoice, consider it pure joy as they face what they're going through, knowing that the Father is with them, He will help them, and if they turn their face towards Him and let the wind of the Spirit blow, that they will become everything that the Father has called them to be. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Why don't you just whisper that to the Lord yourself? Say, I'm here, Lord. I'm yours. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to jump out of the fire. Do with me whatever you want. Your personal transition may well lead to a community citywide, maybe even for some of you a national influence because of what he's doing with you in the secret place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> we love you, Lord. You can look up for a moment. Is that helpful? I know it was a slightly different anointing than last night. It, it helps me. I suddenly realized this is God's classroom. And it's not because he doesn't like me. He rebukes those he loves. He disciplines those he delights in. If he left me to my own devices, it would be a bad sign. But because he loves me and delights in me, he'll help me to become better. And he'll allow some circumstances that will form Christ in me. I thought I was handing over to Tracy and she's gone, but um, she's coming back, I'm sure. Can I encourage you to get a hold of this? Esther and I wrote this together, came out just at the end of last year, Revival Ready, Rethinking Kingdom, Discipleship and Church. And you may well want to work through it with a, with a home group or your leadership team. It's really some of the lessons that we've been learning over the last little season and just saying, God, we're in fully for what you want to do. It's on Audible. If you listen to your books, you can get it there as well. It's on eBooks. AT, I'm gonna, we're going to worship. Here we go. Do you want to stand with me? I know we're really close to the end of our time together. Just lift up your hands. Father, we turn our face towards you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you love us. Why don't you tell him, I know that you're good. I know that you're trustworthy. I know that you are faithful. I will not doubt your goodness. I will not doubt your plan for my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I pray that you would know the love of God washing over you.